Chris Draper, and you're listening to the Tomahawk Roundup. All right, so what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup, and I am joined by Detroit Red Wings legend Chris Draper, four-time Stanley Cup champion. Chris, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How are yourself? Good, doing great. Uh, about a foot of snow just fell in Chicago, so excited to get out there with the snowblower later today. Beautiful. Yeah, well, we got some uh, We got some yesterday, not quite a foot, but uh, it's a sunny day, blue skies, perfect winter day here in, uh, in Michigan. Heck yeah. So during your brief time with the 1.0 Winnipeg Jets, what was the environment like from a player perspective, and what makes it such a special place that it eventually got the NHL back in 2011? Um, I would say the fan base, and uh, I, I obviously I wasn't there very long. No, no. Tell, uh, you know, by by the games played from the guide record book, but um, you know the one thing, and and you know what, that pretty well goes, you know, throughout Canada and, and any Canadian city. Um, you know, they just they they it's. It's a it's a right to, to cheer for you know a, a national hockey league team an NHL team and obviously the Winnipeg Jets they had a, a amazing fan base. I remember you know obviously playing for the Jets. I played my first game there. Obviously very special to be able to do that. Do that is something I'll never forget. But I also remember um, you know when the Detroit Red Wings when I was with the Detroit Red Wings and we faced the Winnipeg Jets in the playoffs. And I just remember, you know, the, the, the whiteout. And it was something that, uh, it was great to see. You go into that rink, that, that's what you want. You're, it's playoff hockey. Um, you want to be in, in, a, in a hostile environment. You want the fans all over you. And I have to be honest with you, I, I find it tough right now. And I feel bad for all the NHL players. And basically all, you know, all of sports right now, not being able to, to play in those kind of environments, obviously with the pandemic going on, but we know that health and safety is the most important thing. But that was something that, uh, you know, I, I just remember being a part of that as a Winnipeg Jet and then even as a Detroit Red Wing going into the Winnipeg Jets and, and playing the Winnipeg Jets, uh, just that, that environment. And it, it, it was something special. And that's, that was, that's how I took it. Uh, Chris, because when I grew up, you know, I grew up pre 2.0 Winnipeg Jets. I grew up when there was no Winnipeg Jets hockey. I was right in that middle area where the Atlanta Thrashers still existed. So I didn't understand the move at first when I was younger, about 10. But now when you have all the information, it makes so much sense why they bring a team back there. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I think, uh, and then you look at the, the, obviously the success that, that they're having and the players that, that they have, uh, you know, when you look at, you know, Blake Wheeler, when you look at Shifley, when you look at Hellyabuck, uh, you know, and they've obviously had some great players that, that have left through through trade and whatnot. But, uh, and then obviously just added a heck of a young hockey player in, in Dubois. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a great organization. It's a great hockey market. I'm sure... Um, everybody is just enjoying the the all Canadian division. Uh, I know I'm certainly as, uh, as not only do I work for the Detroit Red Wings, but I'm also still a, a major fan of the game of hockey and, and love watching uh, you know hockey every night here. And you know just to, to to know what's going on in Canada with with that 
with, with the uh, with the division that they have, it's going to be uh, it's going to be exciting, and there's going to be some great hockey, and there's going to be some you know great battles to get into the playoffs. Yeah, great battles in the great north. So you started out your tenure with the Red Wings organization in Glens Falls, New York, playing for the Adirondack Red Wings. Obviously, that's a big spot for small market teams having the Adirondack Thunder of the East Coast League, then the Phantoms in the 2000s. What was different about playing hockey in a smaller, non traditional market? Um, you know what, and I obviously had never been down to, uh, to upstate New York at all. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I, 19, uh, draft day in 1993, I got traded from Winnipeg to, to Detroit. Um, you know, and I, I actually, you know, I was, I was really looking forward to, to a new start, but I have to be honest, you know, I'm looking at the Detroit Red Wings and down the middle at the time, they, you know, they were just drafting Keith Primo. They had they had Sergey Fedorov, they had Steve Eisman, Mike Sillinger was a first round pick, so I kind of <laughs> I kind of knew I was going to be uh, in tough here, uh, you know, going into training camp. But uh, I came in, and and you know what, uh, going down there was was probably the best thing that ever happened, you know, for my career. I went down to, to Adirondack. It was a, a new lease on my hockey career for myself. Um, you know, it's amazing when, when you think of hockey and what a small world it is. The head coach for the Adirondack Red Wings was Newell Brown. And Newell Brown recruited me when I was 15 and 16 years old to, to Michigan State. So we had kind of created a bit of a relationship. And here we are, you know, five, six years later. Um, he had left Michigan State. He's in pro hockey. Obviously, I'm in pro hockey right now. And he just basically said, you know what, I, you know, I want the Chris Draper you know, that I recruited, you know, the, the guy that just, you know, loved the game of hockey, had the passion for the game, and, you know, showed up every night, played hard. And you know what, Newell and, and I just kind of hit it off with, with that relationship. And he gave me an unbelievable opportunity to play. And, you know, that's all that, you know, that's all that any hockey player asks for. And then it's up to that player to take advantage of the opportunity. And, and I was able to do that. I think, you know, going into, uh, 1994 just early in, in January I think I was over a, a point per game you know playing in the American Hockey League which is you know which is which is pretty good and then on uh, on January 24th 1994 I got the call up to the Detroit Red Wings and uh, and never looked back yeah never looking back and that's the real special thing especially when you have a coach like that who you who recruited you to Michigan State and then you have that almost that ease the you could take a deep breath going into your new start knowing you've got some familiar faces you've got a good role model and a relationship already established there even though it's a new lease on your hockey career like you said yeah exactly it was something um you know and, and the one thing that was uh you know when I got sent out like I came into Detroit um you know, and and I didn't get I didn't get one exhibition game. Uh, I was sent down right away, and I just remember you know being sent down. Doug McLean was the general manager of, of the Adirondack Red Wings, and obviously Newell Brown, the head coach. And they just kind of kind of said, "Go home, you know, get your get your things, you know, and then just kind of kind of you know take a couple days, and then you know come into Adirondack and and you know we're you know basically kind of looked at the lineup, and, and Tim Taylor was going to be first line center, and they had me penciled in as second line center, and something that I was really excited about. I just remember I got back to. Uh, uh, I got back to Toronto, had a, a great conversation with my dad, and you know what? I just basically wanted to pack up and, and get down there and get things going. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, that showed Newell the excitement and the commitment that I had to the Adir Adirondack Red Wings. And, and, and obviously, as soon as I got down there, 
you know, started started playing. Uh, you know, couldn't wait to get going. Couldn't wait to get to the rink. We had a great team. Um, you know, starting down there. Um, you know, we had Tim Taylor who led the league. We had Steve Maltese, Mark Peterson. Like we had a Gord Krupke, Jamie Pusher, uh, Chris Osgood started down there. Like we had a really good American yeah. team. And you know, the I, we were. You know, then all of a sudden, you know, Chris Osgood got called up. You know, Tim Taylor got some games. Um, you know, you, you start looking at some of the players that were getting called up on that team. Um, and it kind of, you know, it, it took away from a legitimate chance to win a Calder Cup. You know, we were we were that good, um, you know, in 93, 94. But obviously, uh, you know, when, when you put together an American League team, you know, the job is, uh, you know, to develop these, you know, these players and get opportunities for them to move up to the Detroit Red Wings. And, and that's what we did. But it was, uh, like I said, I wasn't down there very long, but my time, you know, down in, in Glens Falls and playing for the Adirondack Red Wings was something, you know, that was so important you know for me and and the, and the timing was just perfect uh and like i said i went down there um Noel brown gave me you know a, a ton of opportunity a ton of ice time in every situation you know playing on the penalty kill playing on the pp five on five it was just you know it was and and to and and I, it was exactly what i needed and and i just you know that passion and that love for the game of hockey you know came back to me and it was uh like i said uh, you know january 24th it's a date that that i'll never forget getting called up and playing my first game for the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, January twenty fourth. Actually, three days. Uh, three days ago this year. So, congratulations on that milestone yeah, anniversary. So, no, so uh, after the infamous dirty hit you took by Claude Lemieux in 96, you had a long road to recovery with a slew of facial injuries. Could you give us a little insight on that recovery process, which with those multitude of injuries? Yeah, I mean, you know what? It's it's actually probably the best. <laughs> it's been very well documented in the uh, the documentary, The Russian Five. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to watch that, um, but it, it's it's an absolute. What what a they did a fantastic job on uh, on on the Russian Five, and and you know one of the parts was obviously you know my injury, but uh, you know I got you know uh, you know a lot of people in the game of hockey you know re- remember the hit, obviously the rivalry. Uh, you know I got hit from behind, and you know I. It, you know, I just I ended up catching the dasher of the board uh, boards uh, right in front of our bench, and and uh, you know I, I broke broke my nose, my jaw, my cheekbone, and my orbital bone. Uh, you know, on the right side of my face. So it was, uh, you know, it was obviously um, you know a, a, a pretty. It was a bad injury. Um, you know, I ended up. Uh, you know that we ended up losing out that game. That was Game Six in Colorado, and obviously Colorado went on to win the Stanley Cup, and and that was the year that you know we set the record for the most wins in the National Hockey League with sixty two, and we were obviously favored to win the Stanley Cup, and it didn't happen. So you throw you know all those things into the mix, and and then obviously Colorado going on to to win the Stanley Cup. It was uh, it was an instant rivalry, and it was a rivalry that that went on you know from you know the hit 96 and, and pretty well all the way through to 2002 and you know it's uh i guess the best way to, to describe that rivalry uh you know was pure hatred you know they they made it known that they they didn't like us and we obviously made it known that that we didn't like them and and with that said every time we played it was it was unbelievable hockey it didn't take much for for the fireworks to hit um it was a game that when 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 it was in detroit uh you know you pretty well had 20 thousand people at warm-up because they didn't they knew something was going to happen and they didn't know when and when we went into Colorado it was pretty well the same thing and uh like I said it was uh 
it was an unreal rivalry. And you think of, you know, the Stanley Cup winners, you know, that came out of both Colorado and Detroit over those years, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. And, you know, the one thing I've always said about that rivalry, you look at it, obviously the hit was, you know, was, was, was kind of how everything started. But you look at those two organizations and you look at the players that went on to go into the Hockey Hall of Fame and, and you're talking about two dominant hockey teams that, you know, you can run and gun, you can play finesse, but there was also, you know, a, a lot of toughness on both sides of, of, of those teams. And like I said, that was, uh, you know, that's why it made it such a, such a great rivalry, um, you know, because there was so much talent in Colorado and certainly in Detroit. And we knew if we were going to win the Stanley Cup, we had to go through them and you know they also knew if they were going to win the stanley cup you know they were going to have to go through us and uh you know that's what made it so special and so heated and like i said there was uh there was a lot of hatred on both sides of, of the organizations in uh, in those years and that's that's the thing when you talk about the talent between those two teams it's not like everybody's uh it's not just everybody throwing bodies and haymakers it's also the goal scoring potential too because now you've got the talent in Included with that, and I think that's something that gets overlooked with like a lot of rivalries, where it's like, yeah, people are throwing throwing punches, big body checks. We got to remember the scoring prowess of both of those teams. Oh, absolutely, and like I said, I think that that's why. Well, actually, I know that's why it made that rivalry. Um, you know, you know, to me from that period the greatest in professional sports you're looking at it you know you just look down the middle it's it's Sackick and Forsberg it's Eiserman and Fedorov uh you know we have you know Brendan Brendan Shanahan you know they have Lemieux Adam Foote Rob Lake was there we have Nick Lidstrom you know we, we obviously uh Vladimir Konstantinov in, in in 97 like you just you just keep going down the list Patrick Waugh you know you just keep going down the list and some great you know Milan Hayduk Adam Deadmarsh you know Alex Tange like you just kind of keep going down the list of of who they had and you look at you know we had Marty Lapointe Darren McCarty Kirk Mulpey like you just keep going down the list of of the players that uh, that were on, on both sides and you know, like I said, it was it was two organizations that, in the end, you knew there was a ton of skill, but you know there was also you know there was also a, a lot of guys that could play you know hard, physical, tough hockey, and that's kind of why that the rivalry elevated to, to what it was, um, and the importance of, of you know come playoff hockey because, like I said, it's uh, you know it, you, you mix in Dallas and. Probably on the other side in New Jersey, you look at from 96 to 2002, you know, those were pretty well the four organizations that were winning Stanley Cups and, uh, you know, three of them were in the Western Conference. Yeah, and that and that Western Conference was loaded. So you had a chance to represent your country, Team Canada, eight different times during your professional career. I mean, what an impact did that have on you and what are some of the fondest memories of donning that red and white sweater? Um, you know what, I was uh, obviously very fortunate, and we just actually just went through the World Junior Tournament, obviously, uh, played in, in Edmonton, and, and uh, you know, U.S. Uh, winning the gold medal. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough at 18 and 19 years old to, to represent Canada at the World Junior Championships, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, won gold in, in, in both my years, in 90 in Finland and 91 in, in Saskatoon, and, you know, I just remember in in Saskatoon and, and just I obviously it's it's a huge honor every time you get a chance to put on the Team Canada jersey but you know when we were in Saskatoon and you just you know playing that tournament and playing it 
in, in our home country, you know, I think it just, you know, really hit home to, you know, to, to what an honor it really is. And I never, you know, I actually have from, from scouting, I've gone back into the, the rink in Saskatoon. And every time I walk in there, I have unbelievable memories of, of what those couple weeks were. But I just remember in, in one with the, the net where we shot twice, there was the biggest Canada flag that I've ever seen in my life. And it literally draped over, uh, you know, from, from basically the upper bowl and there's no seats underneath. And I just, it's, it's a lasting impression that I've always had. Um, you know, so I would say obviously, you know, winning, you know, the world junior championships was, uh, was such a special, you know, special moment, uh, you know, special time in my career. Um, you know, and then I would say, um, you know, the 2004 World Cup of hockey that was played in, in Montreal and Toronto, you know, for me to make that team in, in 04 and to play with Mario Lemieux and Joe Sackick and Jerome McGinley and Marty Berdur and you just go down the list and to be able, I'm from Toronto, and to be able to win the, the World Cup of hockey in Toronto uh, was something that was, uh, you know, really special for me. Um, you know, and then another opportunity, uh, you know, winning uh, the gold medal at the the men's world championships uh, in 03, you know, very special as well. So I think, you know, anytime you put the jersey on, it's a huge honor. And anytime you have an opportunity to, to, to win a gold medal, uh, you know, it's something that uh, you'll never forget. So those, you know, those moments uh, are something that uh, are still vivid, you know, in my career. And it was something that, you know, I, I, I always wanted to do. Anytime I had an opportunity to, to represent my country and I got the call, I went over there. Uh, you know, fortunately, you know, the Detroit Red Wings, a lot of the years we went on some, you know, pretty good playoff runs. So I wasn't, you know, a part of the, the men's world championship teams too often in the spring. But anytime, you know, I got a phone call from Hockey Canada, you know, I was going over to, to play and represent my country. And it's something that I'm glad I always did. It was something that I was very proud of to do, uh, like you said, as many times as I did. Yeah, staggering just eight times with the Canada Maple Leaf flag on. So what is your day-to-day -day life? You know, you touched on it a little bit going into scouting. As the director of amateur scouting for the Detroit Red Wings, you know, take us through the day-to-day the -day life of the director of amateur scouting. Well, we're, it's obviously different right now than what it would normally be. Sure. Um, you know, certainly with, uh, you know, how the pandemic has, has hit ev everybody and everything. Um, you know, last year was my first year doing it. Um, you know, and, and really, you know, my job, uh, you know, we have, you know, five five European scouts. Uh, and then we have, you know, 10 over here in, in North America. So, and then with, uh, you know, two chief amateur scouts, there's 17 of us that, uh, you know, are in charge of drafting, you know, for the Detroit Red Wings. Um, you know, so for me last year, you know, I spent probably about 65 days over in Europe, um, scouting over in Europe. And then, going through all the leagues, you know, going, you know, you, you go into the, the Quebec League, the Ontario League, you go out into Western Canada, you watch uh, the USHL, if there's prospects playing college hockey, you watch that. Obviously, right here in Michigan, you have the National Team Development Program. Um, you know, so that's really, uh, you know, my job is, uh, is, is to scout uh, and communicate with all with all our area scouts and just really you know track you know who what we think is a good prospect that that, that is going that we can add to the Detroit Red Wings 
Um, you know, this year, um, you know, as obviously it's, it's been, it's, it's different. It's been challenging, but you know, every other team is going through the exact same things we are. Um, you know, I, I live here in, in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. Uh, the USHL is, is up and running. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of scouting kind of throughout that league. Um, you know, and then obviously college hockey is playing as well. And Michigan has, you know, three, you know, first round picks with Beniers, Power, and Kent Johnson. And, and, you know, so I have the opportunity to go watch them play in Ann Arbor or wherever they are on the road. Um, you know, and then the national team development programs here as well. So really, um, you know, this year with, uh, with, with, with the pandemic and, and where we're at right now with some leagues not playing and certainly travel restrictions, it's, uh, you know, I'm just kind of going through, uh, the USHL and college hockey, but uh, you know my job will be when uh, when the draft comes to you know to to have a list and and be ready to go and communicate with our general manager Steve Eiserman and and talk to him about the players that we like and you know we've obviously discussed you know what we feel a Red Wing prospect is you know we kind of call it you know the DNA of a Red Wing prospect and you know just keep tracking those players and in the end uh, you know last year you know we we were you know we finished last but. Um, you know, we dropped three spots in the lottery and, and you know, instead of picking first, we, we picked fourth and, and we ended up getting Lucas Raymond, who we're, we're really excited to, you know, to watch him and, to, and, and watch his development. Um, our development staff led by Sean Horkoff, Dan Cleary and Nicholas Cronwall. Um, you know, I work close with those guys as well and I feel... Our development staff is as good as any in the National Hockey League. And, uh, you know, so once we draft the players, uh, you know, we hand them off to our player development staff and, 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 and they get after it and they get going. And, um, you know, I, you know, just talking to those guys on a daily basis, both uh, Dan and, and Sean live here in, in, uh, in Michigan as well. And, you know, they talk about, you know, the prospects that, that they've talked to, um, you know, clipping video, talking to them. And, and you know, so it's, uh, you know, the one thing that, you know, I, I like to have is, you know, we have, there's a lot of transparency. There's a lot of communication from the top with Steve Eiserman and Pat Verbeek. And, you know, even get a chance to, you know, Kirk Mulphy's a pro scout, get to talk to him uh, all the way through player development. So that's, um, you know, really on a day-to-day basis. So for me, you know, right now, um, you know, some of the European leagues that are up and running, you know, I, I watch a lot of video. Um, then we'll talk to, you know, then I'll talk to our European scouts and, and kind of discuss who they like and, and, and kind of go from there. So it, it's, uh, it's watching a lot of prospects basically all over the world and then having a lot of communication with uh, with our scouts that, you know, like I said, are, 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 in, uh, are in Europe and, and all over North America. And that open communication really helps when selecting a player like Lucas Raymond, who can be a, a big piece of the Red Wings going forward, especially with the newly christened captain Dylan Larkin. I mean, this is this this open communication is perfect for drafting players like that. Well, we think so. Um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, it's certainly important. Uh, you know, we have two Swedish scouts, obviously, Hawk and Anderson, who's a big part of, uh, you know, the Detroit Red Wing drafts. He's, he's found some, uh, you know, obviously some unbelievable hockey players for us over in Sweden. Uh, Thomas Carlson is a Swedish scout as well. So right now, those guys, and Nicholas Cronwall is over there. Um, you know, so right now, those guys, if, if Lucas... Uh, is playing though they're watching and you know anytime we have a chance to, to watch on video we're watching him on video we we also have Maritz Sider who's 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 playing over in in, uh, in Sweden as well along with Joe Valeno so there's a lot of communication Nicholas Cronwall is over there um, you know so he's kind of doing a lot of the hands-on work with um, 
you know, with our European prospects as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's great, you know, just get, get to pick up the phone, um, you know, can, can call, you know, a lot of people within our organization, you know, and, and just really just talk, you know, who, who have you seen over the weekend? Who'd you like over the weekend? You know, I always talk to our, you know, basically our scouts, if, if there was a potential prospect, you know, going into, this year's draft if you know if there was a game in particular where they were like you know what i really like the way this prospect played you know then i have the opportunity to you know pull it up on video and watch it as well so you know it's uh i think it's real important that communication is real important for me and in the end i you know i enjoy it i enjoy talking to uh, you know all our scouts and and getting their opinions and 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 obviously it's it's important to have that kind of, kind of communication yeah chris that open communication is critical so before we head out today chris is there anything else you'd like to add for listeners around the u.s canada and beyond um you know what no uh, i think uh you know i appreciate uh, the opportunity and 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 obviously the questions and i can tell in your voice you're you're real excited and passionate towards the game of hockey it's a it's a lot of fun to to obviously talk about it but you know for you know for me to to be in the red wing organization since 1993 and and i understand how important my role is right now with uh you know with where our organization is at but um you know we're just uh you know, we just got to, you know, keep uh, keep drafting, keep developing. And, and that's something that uh, we take a lot of pride in doing. So, uh, you know, we know um, that we're in a rebuild right now. And, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, you, you, you just want the, the wings to be, you know, back to the wings, uh, you know, that I was a part of. And, and uh, you know, hopefully with, like I said, some drafting and developing, uh, you know, we can get back there. All right. Chris Draper of the Detroit Red Wings. Chris, thank you so much for the time. My pleasure. You have a fantastic day.